0: Under the guidance of its founding editor-in-chief, William Bennett, M.D. Fasson, the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology has achieved great success and become one of the leading kidney journals in the world. On January 1, 2011, the leadership of the journal will transition to Gary C. Kerhan, M.D. Fasson, of the Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. In this episode of the ASN Kidney News Podcast, ASN Executive Director Todd Ibrahim speaks with the incoming Editor-in-Chief about C. Jason's future, as well as peer review and the submission process.
1: Dr. Curhan, why were you interested in becoming the second editor of the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology? Todd, I've been excited and fortunate to be part of C. Jason since the
2: beginning. Bill Bennett has done an outstanding job first assembling the team but then launching the journal and keeping us on track. And it is so exciting right now because the journal is in such a positive mode. The number of submissions has gone up. The quality of the material continues to improve. So it just seemed like a a great opportunity. I've I've always wondered what it was like to be on the other side after submitting many articles for many years. And now that I've been on the other side for, for such a long time, I see there's many opportunities to not only improve the journal, but to also improve the way that information is presented
1: and also interpreted. So you mentioned Dr. Bennett, who's the founding editor of CJSON. What were some things that you've learned from him as an editor? Bill, I think, has a management style that worked quite well.
2: By assembling a group of individuals that were very interested and dedicated, he allowed people to follow their own ideas. He was very receptive to suggestions both for invited material, but also just how we should formulate the journal. For example, we have a structured abstract, which most of the associators felt was very important as far as how the balance was between the number of review articles versus original submissions. He delegated a huge amount of responsibility to the associate editors, and that I feel was quite appropriate because those were the people with the different types of expertise, but at the same time, he also provided very strong leadership.
1: So as an author, what's the the best piece of advice that you've ever received?
2: For me, the most helpful piece is to have other colleagues read the manuscript before submission. To be able to receive that constructive advice, both for grants but also for manuscripts at an early stage, really will improve the manuscript and will end up improving the likelihood of success
1: in, in being accepted. And I assume if you ask people, if you ask colleagues for their advice, you don't have to incorporate all of their suggestions, but at the very least, you should consider them because sometimes that may lead to other changes.
2: Oh, absolutely. I, whenever I provide feedback to the fellows and junior faculty that work with me, I say that these are suggestions. They are not mandated changes. People can have differences of, of opinion, um, but particularly sometimes people will read something and say, this isn't clear. and what seems perfectly clear to the author, if it's not clear to the reader, then that's a message there that you may think it's clear, but it's not. So you need to revise it and then have somebody else read it again to make sure that the clarity's been improved. Are there
1: things that Dr. Bennett did that you would change? Are there elements of Jason that may seem well-established but you feel like could be improved during the next few years? Yes, I think there's a number of things that, can be improved.
2: Hopefully, some will happen immediately, and some will be long-term. This isn't anything in the way that the journal was started, Um, but in fact, now that it's in such a good place, there's just opportunities to improve. So there's several areas that I want to focus on. One is to raise the quality of the manuscripts that we publish, and because there's been an increasing number of submissions, that will give us the opportunity to be even more selective than we've already been. I, we're also going to be a bit more demanding of the authors to be sure that they spend as much time as, on their manuscripts as need to in order to make the presentation of the information they're trying to convey as clear as possible. And that means paying attention to the way that the text is written and probably even more importantly the way the tables are put together and the figures that are chosen to be included. I was taught a long time ago that if you can't convey the information, then you might as well have not done the study. And I think that that, that's one area that all all journals, but not just CJSON, can continue to improve upon.
1: If you're mentoring junior faculty or people who are developing manuscripts to submit to CJSON or to other peer-reviewed journals, how do you help someone who's new to this process convey the data in a way that would be meaningful to an audience?
2: I think the, the preparation starts well before you start writing. And the way I envision is that it really starts at the stage of study design. You know, For example, is the hypothesis focused? Does it address a clinically important question? Does it pass the so what test? And the, these are many of the things that people struggle with at the time they're writing when, in fact, they should have been struggling with these at the time that they were designing the study. And the so what question, some people say it's a little bit harsh, but it's something that we ask ourselves all the time, you know, will this study, when it's completed, make a meaningful contribution to the existing literature? And as we're designing the study, I often ask the junior faculty that work with me or the fellows, you know, will the methods section be readable and sound reasonable to the typical reader? Because sometimes the studies get so complicated that when they're trying to tell the story, it's because of the complexity that was introduced early on. But, once, assuming that they've been able to get past that stage and now they've done the data collection, that they really need to spend a great deal of time examining the data from all different angles and not just trying to get a certain p-value. In our group, we present the work in progress very early to get early feedback. Also then present it again to our group after we feel the analyses are done. And I think before writing, we need to set on which tables and figures and, and then proceed from there. And I often recommend that people make an outline because that ends up being very helpful and helps make sure that there's an orderly flow to the text.
1: Do you have advice for an author if they're going through a difficult revision process as to sort of how to maintain the momentum so that they can finalize the revisions and ultimately have the manuscript published? Yeah,
2: so that's a very important area, and I'm glad that you asked about that. Usually people are focused on the submission process and the the initial submission, and of course that's very important. But then what happens after that is something that requires even more attention. At CJSON, we spend a huge amount of time, even after the review process, to make sure that the authors understand what the questions are from the reviewers, but sometimes it's unclear. But then also we want to make sure that there's a detailed and thoughtful response to the reviewer's comments. That that doesn't mean that everything needs to change in the manuscript, but I do think it's a good idea for authors, and I put myself in that same category when I'm submitting, is to try to understand why the reviewers had concerns about certain pieces, and some of it may be due to clarity, and even though we may have felt, we meaning the authors felt, that it was perfectly clear. If someone else didn't understand it, then obviously it wasn't clear. If someone is asking you to tone down the conclusions, you need to really ask yourself, are are the conclusions that we're writing really supported by by the data that are there? Sometimes there end up being technical issues that there can be differences of opinion. That doesn't mean that the authors necessarily have to change. They just have to make sure that they acknowledge that there is a potential alternative way to either analyze the data or, or to interpret it.
1: So as you look at the field of nephrology and you think about it now as from the perspective of being the incoming editor-in-chief of CJSON, what are some of the exciting areas in the field that you're hoping to really highlight? I think that there's lots of
2: exciting areas in nephrology. I also think we need to take a step back and ask ourselves for the things that we do on a regular day-to-day basis. What's the evidence for that? And like many subspecialties in internal medicine, we don't have a great evidence base for many of the things that we do. For example, when I was a fellow, many of the things that we were doing that we thought were correct turned out not only not to be helpful, but in fact, some of them were harmful. And it was only until somebody had actually done appropriate studies that made us realize that what we had been doing wasn't optimal.
1: Can you you just provide sort of one example? I'm just thinking for more sort of for junior people to, to know that.
2: Sure. As an example, for the prevention of acute renal failure, after people that were being exposed to radio contrast for different types of procedures, we routinely not give fluid. And oftentimes, we would give people furosemide and sometimes even mannitol. And it, there were lots of scientific reasons why that seemed to be the, the right thing to do. But it turns out in subsequent studies that we should have not been doing those things. And in fact, we should have been giving people fluid. So it sounds like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But in fact, it Doing no harm is a very important piece of what we do. It's not that we're just trying to discover new treatments. We're also trying to find out what we're doing that may be potentially harmful. Current arguments are still going on, for example, about how rapidly people should correct hyponatremia. Uh, Now people are given vitamin D, whereas previously we only thought that we should be giving people active vitamin D. There's really a long list of things that we're now doing in nephrology that really changed quite a bit, and more, even more recently now, our uses of uh, erythrohysis-stimulating agents is, is going to change because of the number of studies that have been done. So I think the part of that that excites me is that there's a huge number of individuals now that are focusing on clinical investigation. The expertise and experience has been improving substantially, and that's going to lead to a number of exciting studies, whether they're randomized control trials, observational studies, or physiologic investigation as well. That, that, that those will now answer a number of the important questions that we need to address.
1: You're talking about the the value of publishing what I'll call evidence-based medicine, although that may not be the right way to put it. I'm just wondering about other areas that you're looking forward to emphasizing in C Jason in the years to come.
2: We're going to be open to all sorts of different articles, so I don't want anybody to think that it's just going to be a a uh, kidney stone journal, since I love kidney stones, or an epidemiology journal, certainly we want to continue to receive articles in those areas and be very happy to consider them. I, I think more broadly is we want topics that haven't received as much attention. For example, physiologic studies really used to be the heart and soul of nephrology, and now those studies aren't quite as common, at least in, in the renal literature, and we're hoping that investigators, whether they're nephrologists or other types, of in other areas that are doing physiologic type studies that would be of interest to our audience, primarily clinicians and clinical investigators. We would gladly evaluate those types of articles. We're hoping as more randomized control trials are done and as CJSON becomes the go-to journal for most practicing nephrologists as well as clinical investigators, that we'll start to get high-quality clinical trials, but again, we're open to a wide variety. I also want to emphasize that this isn't just for adult nephrology, that we welcome the submissions from pediatric nephrology and also geriatric nephrology. As far as other areas that haven't received as much attention, health service research is another area that, as nephrologists, we're all well aware of how it affects our life. But as far as the number of studies that have been published in c j the data, it hasn't been very many, so we would welcome those types of articles as well. And, again, it's, even though A is for the American Society of Nephrology, again, we, we view C Jason as a global journal and would welcome articles about issues that
1: are relate to global health. Well, why do you think nephrology has less published literature in the comparative effectiveness research than other fields? I don't
2: know the exact answer. For comparative effectiveness, that means that you have two different options that work. And, unfortunately, for many of the things that we're faced with day-to-day, we're not even sure that we have one thing that works well. Nephrology, I think, has been a little bit behind cardiology as far as the number of randomized trials to document that something actually is effective. We have now had a huge explosion of epidemiologic-type studies, observational. Again, there we can't talk about cause and effect, and really we'll need randomized trials, not to always give us a definitive answer because we're not going to have randomized trials for everything, but for certain key questions that need to be addressed, many of us would feel that we need at least a randomized trial to answer that specific question. But I I do want to make it clear as well that many of us do recognize that randomized trials aren't always perfect and that we do need to use other types of approaches to answer clinically relevant questions.
1: As you think about medical publishing and how it's changed dramatically during the last decade, how do you see it changing over the next six to ten years
2: so I view that this is just a very great time. It's very exciting. There's great opportunities. I still enjoy reading paper versions of things. My kids and many of the junior people aren't as excited about using paper, but I, I do think that, at least with the, the current personal reading devices, that paper is still a great option. But clearly, there's additional costs and limitations of paper, and I am hoping that our journal, but other journals as well, will really take advantage of the opportunities that an electronic format allows. So, for example, right now in the paper version, if you want to see an abstract or reference, you have to go online to get the reference unless you happen to have that journal in your office, which is unlikely. In online versions, there's really no reason why we can't have at least the abstracts and preferably the whole article linked to the references so that when we're reading an article and we see one of the citations, we should be able to jump right to that. And that's one of the things that we're going to actively pursue will give us an opportunity to consider innovative presentations of data. Even when someone's giving a talk using PowerPoint, it still ends up just being a picture. But the, the ability to make, for example, tables or figures dynamic is something that we need to consider. So if I'm reading a table or, let's say, a figure and it's presented a certain way, shouldn't I be allowed to consider whether there should be another way to present the same data? And depending how that figure has been constructed either the author may provide us four different versions of the same figure, and the reader can pick which one they want to look at, or perhaps even at some point in the near future that there will be actual some data uploaded at the same time that will allow the reader to manipulate the figure in such a way to answer some of the questions that they have. So I think uh, we haven't even talked about video or some other type of presentation format that I think will help the authors get their message across and also help the readers understand what the results mean.
1: So within the, the context of of technology and, and how information is being presented, do you see a role, I guess there's sort of two related questions. One is, do you see a role for blogging in scientific literature? And then the second would be, do you think because we can access data so much more quickly than we used to be, that the time we take in crafting manuscripts and going back and forth with revisions, that 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 will be shortened both because of technology, but also just the fact that there's so much more information that's out there that's perhaps less polished than it used to be.
2: It's hard to know. There there is a limit to how quickly things can happen. And from uh, the author's standpoint, we don't want them just to turn things around so quickly without taking the time and, and thought that's required to actually improve the manuscript. From the The journal standpoint, there is a a limit on the amount of time that can be spent on any one manuscript in any one day. So that is going to take some minimum amount of time before we can process the the manuscript. And whether it's because it takes time for to find the reviewers that we want or for the editorial staff, everybody that is associated with C. Jason has lots of other tasks in their life. Most of them have full-time jobs. It's not that they aren't dedicated to doing this; they certainly are. Um, but it isn't that their operators are standing by to receive your manuscript. Now, they want to take the time that that they need to make sure that they can review it in a thoughtful way. So there is some minimum, but we are going to do everything possible to shorten the, the process. And one way that the authors can help is by following the instructions, for example. Um, we are going to be revising the instructions to authors to certainly streamline them, but to make it clear to everybody that this is the way... Should be this is the number of tables, so that there won't be any questions, and it'll be, it will be that even what seem like minor pieces end up speeding up the process. But we also want things that are polished, and I am going to make a plea to the authors to spend the time necessary. And it's hard to write manuscripts, I, I know, and many of my colleagues know how hard it is. But once it's done in the, the best way possible, that the the readers benefit and the literature benefit from it as well.
1: So you officially become Editor-in-Chief January 1st of 2011, and it's a six-year term. So at the end of your six years, if you could look back on the journal and sort of where it is in the in, in publishing, what are some of the, the metrics you'd like to be judged by?
2: I am a firm believer in measuring things as long as we have the right instruments, so I would hope that the number of submissions increase. But that's not just a function of the journal, that's a function of the, the field in general. And it depends on how many other sources there are for people to submit to. But what I would want people to say is that the quality of the publications has increased tremendously, that the clarity of the writing and the presentation has increased, that the articles have become a little bit more dynamic. And for example, that they become more educational. So whether you can jump to different references or I would hope in the near future that we will have hyperlinks within some of the journals that if someone's reading it, sees a term that they don't know, would like to know a little bit more about that they they can jump, read about it and and come back. Uh, The technology is something that we need to take advantage of and will only benefit both the journal but also the reader. I would hope that the readers feel that this is their go-to journal, the, the first one that they pick up of, the 20 journals that they get, that it's the one that they do read on a regular basis and that they feel answers questions that they want to know the answers to.
1: So how would you define a go-to journal? Obviously, it answers their questions, but what are some of the other characteristics of, of what you would consider a go-to journal?
2: It's written in a way that it's of interest so that it's not just answering the questions, but also making them think about other topics, that they have confidence in the people that are writing the commentaries and that are proposing points of view that may be different from uh, from theirs, but that they feel are innovative and something for them to consider. I would hope that it's time-wise more topical for, say, some of the commentaries or editorials. Again, depending on how quickly we are able to publish certain Commentaries, it would be nice, for example, if the healthcare law changes that it doesn't take months for the, those types of commentaries to make their way into the printed literature, that we should be able to have that available to the readers in a, in a much shorter period of time. So the timing will be important, the, the quality, the presentation, um, and also just that there's a sense that these people that are shepherding the journal are in touch with the readership.
1: Dr. Curhan, thank you for joining us for today's discussion. it
0: been my pleasure, Todd. ASN Kidney News is a publication of the American Society of Nephrology. The ideas and opinions expressed by participants in ASN Kidney News podcasts are their own and do not necessarily reflect the positions of the society. To lead the fight against kidney disease, ASN helps its 11,000 members provide high-quality care to patients, conduct cutting-edge research, and educate the next generations of kidney care professionals. To learn more about ASN or kidney news, please visit the Society's website at asn-online.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.